Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And Lord, we're so thankful for the price that was paid for us by Jesus upon the cross, that Jesus paid it all, that he covered the full debt of our sin, and Lord, in him, we are able to stand as children of God, free from bondage to sin, free to become everything you want us to be, Lord, free to worship you. And so, Lord, now as we turn to your word, we pray that you would open our minds to receive what you would give us today, but not only that, that you would open our hearts to receive. Lord, not only that we would learn more about you today, but we would be moved by your spirit to be more like you today. And we pray that when this experience comes to an end and we go back out into the world, that they see more of Jesus in us, for it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to go with me to Babylon. And over the course of this month, that's where we're going. In your Bible, you can turn to Daniel, the book of Daniel. If you're in the room, the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 737. But this summer, our kids through Vacation Bible School are going to Babylon. And there they're going to learn the stories of how Daniel and his friends chose to obey God instead of bending to a godless culture. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that a relevant message for our kids to learn today? Uh, Yeah. I've been fascinated by the story of Daniel ever since I read the Bible. Uh, Ever since I was a little kid, I've been fascinated by this story, but it it seems like this is a story that sticks with me. In fact, the the message that I'm going to preach to you today from Daniel chapter 1, I've been preaching for more than two decades. The points have stayed the same. The truths have stayed the same. Obviously, God's Word never fades. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. But here's what's so interesting about this story. We're going to talk about some young men who were taken into exile to a new culture, a new nation, a new religious system, really for them, a new world, and they had to make a decision. Are we going to bend to the new culture, or are we going to serve our God? We're going to see over the course of the next several weeks of the decisions that they made. Our kids, when they come to Vacation Bible School, are going to learn those stories of the decisions that they made when they were faced with a great deal of cultural pressure that, frankly, was not just uh, with the threat of being canceled. It came with the threat of being killed. And so we're going to go to Babylon because our kids are going to Babylon. And we're going to see in Babylon through the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, we're going to see over the course of the next month what it looks like to trust and follow God no matter what else anybody else says. And so, Daniel, we're going to chapter 1 today, and we're going to see in chapter 1 really the scene set for the next several weeks that we're going to be together. We're going to see why Daniel and his friends were in Babylon in the first place, and we're going to see how God moved them to stand firm in a culture that was opposed to everything their God had ever taught them. I've been preaching this text for 23 years. 
And for 23 years, I've wondered, will there ever come a day when I will be able to stop preaching this text? And I've come to this conclusion, heaven. I will be able to stop preaching this text in heaven because our culture continues to advance contrary to the teachings of Almighty God. Have you noticed that? In the year 2000, did you know that there were people, all those, you know the year 2000 is nearly a quarter century ago now? How many of you just felt older? You just got older in that one sentence. Quarter century since the year 2000. You don't have to worry about Y2K anymore. There are people in this room, when I say Y2K, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And we all thought Jesus might come back that night. He didn't. Quarter century ago, there were people who were committed to living lives contrary to the teachings of Almighty God. Can you imagine? And now, 23 years later, guess what there are? There are people who are committed to living lives contrary to the teachings of Almighty God, even today in our modern advanced age. Well, we're going to go back to around 605 B.C., 605 years before the coming of Christ. And you know what there were then? There were people who were committed to living lives that were contrary to the teachings of Almighty God. Matter of fact, the very first people, Adam and Eve, our common ancestors, made a decision to live their lives contrary to the one commandment that they had of the teaching of Almighty God. You say, well, how does that happen? They had one rule. We have all sorts of rules that we need to follow, but how did they break the one? Here's how, and here's why we're in the mess that we're in. Here's why this message is still relevant today. Adam and Eve breaking God's rule was not about the fruit. It was about trying to live our lives independent of our Maker. The enemy came to Adam and Eve and questioned God's Word, questioned God's character, questioned God's truthfulness. He still does the same things to us today. He'll question God's Word, he'll question God's character, and he'll question God's truthfulness. But what he was able to convince them to do was to abandon the one who had knit them together inside their mother's womb. Actually, they didn't have a mother's womb, neither Adam and Eve didn't, but the one who would, have, who would knit all of us together. The one who had created them, Adam from the dust and Eve from the rib taken from the man, to abandon the one who had created them and the order he had established in order to do it their own way. Any of y'all raised kids? Have you ever established an order for your kids and had them abandon the order that you established so that they might try their own way? How'd it go? Didn't go well, did it? How about your own life? Have any of you ever established the order created by those in authority over you, whether that was parents or grandparents, aunt and uncle, whoever it might have been? Have you ever abandoned the order established by them to try it your own way? How'd it go? In Genesis chapter 3, our very first parents abandoned the order that was established by their creator to go their own way. 
They wanted to live lives of independence from the imposition of God because they thought they knew better. They didn't. And when we try to live our lives trying to abandon the order established by God and seeking to avoid the imposition of God in our lives, we face the consequences. God made us to be dependent upon Him. We're dependent upon Him for every breath we take. We're dependent upon Him for every time our heart beats. We're dependent upon Him for everything we are and everything that we have. And yet this sinful nature within us compels us to try to separate ourselves from the one upon whom we depend. And it never works out. Today we're going to see Daniel make a decision. He's going to make a decision over and against immense cultural pressure to trust and follow God even when doing so was profoundly difficult. And so if you're taking notes today, I want to give you this theme. God's way isn't always easy. God's way isn't always easy. Resolve yourself to trust and follow Him even when life gets hard. God's way isn't always easy. Resolve yourself to trust and follow Him even when life gets hard. Daniel, we're going to look at the first two verses and we're going to understand the context of why they're in Babylon to begin with. The Word of God tells us this, that in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Our first point today is this. Disobedience leads to captivity. Disobedience leads to captivity. You know that. <laughs> the very first time you had to go to time out was this principle in action. When you disobey, it leads to captivity. If time out doesn't work for you, then you might have to do time in. And so disobedience leads to captivity. But frankly, we understand that there are consequences that are even greater than time out or even time in. There are consequences in which we become captive to things we never would have chosen. I don't know who said it first, but it wasn't me. That sin will take you further than you wanted to go, keep you there longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Disobedience leads to captivity. Why were God's people going to be captive in Babylon? Well, the Bible told us right there. Because God gave them over to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, why in the world would God, who loves his people, give them over to Nebuchadnezzar? Why in the world would God allow that to happen to his people? Well, because they sinned. This was an act of discipline from the Lord. His judgment in the moment to bring about a change of behavior so that they might return to him. And so many times in the Bible, 
we see God discipline his people, allowing them to experience pain so that they might turn back to him. It's why we take children's phones away from them today. It's why we tell them to go to their room and take away their video games or whatever it is you do. I don't know. It's, it's, it's the, the basis behind the entire system of incarceration in this country. We take away privilege. We induce pain so that behavior might change. God does that to us. Why does he do that? Because he loves us. God disciplines us because he loves us, not in spite of his love, but because of his love. So God gave them over into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. It had happened first to Israel. The Assyrians had come in and taken the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. In 586, the Babylonians would come in and fully wipe out Jerusalem. This is 605. This is 20 years or so before the taking of Jerusalem by by the Babylonians. But this first wave of prisoners goes to Babylon because God gave them over. You know, in Romans chapter 1, it says again that God gave them over. But in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1, and you can go read about it, you can see that what God gave them over to was not physical captivity like it was in the days of Daniel. No, this is spiritual captivity. And I want to tell you, an act of judgment from God that some theologians call the passive wrath of God is when God gives us what we say we want. When God takes away his prohibition, not canceling the law, but allowing us to get what we want, taking away that barrier and allowing us to cross it, and bearing in ourselves the consequence of those decisions, that's an act of judgment. You say, I can't believe that getting what we want could ever be the act of judgment. Well, how many of you have ever gotten something you wanted so badly and realized, boy, you didn't need that? So God gave them over. God gave them over to a debased mind. God gave them over to to abandoning his natural order and embracing a life that was contrary to his teachings. And the Bible says that they bore in their bodies the consequence of that. Now, sometimes one of the harshest things God can do is let us do what we want because we don't even know what to want. We will choose our own destruction if left to our own devices. Just ask Adam and Eve. God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take these people as an act of discipline against his people so that they would return to him. And so many of the things that we deal with today are an act of God's discipline against his people and judgment of the world. That when it seems like people are getting what they want, that can be God saying, okay, have at it. See how you like it. It's not going to end well. And so disobedience leads to captivity. Verses 3 through 10. 
Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Our second point, God's enemies push us toward disobedience. God's enemies push us toward disobedience. What's happening here? Well, these men had risen to the top. They were top gun, right? And they were going to get the best. They were going to get the best food. They were going to get the best drink. They were eating from the king's table. But the Bible says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself in this way. Well, why is it that eating from the king's table would cause Daniel to defile himself? Well, a couple reasons. Number one, God's people had been given certain dietary restrictions. They still have those today. Food has to be what? Kosher. And there was no way of knowing that the food on the king's table met those dietary restrictions. In fact, I'm sure the king liked some ham every now and then. And that was patently against the dietary restrictions. And so the food that the king would eat and the wine that the king would drink did not meet biblical standards for God's people who were to be set apart not only in the choices they made about the lives they lived, but the choices they made about the food they ate. And so he would not defile himself with food that was not up to the dietary restrictions imposed by Almighty God. But the second thing was this. That food had also been sacrificed to idols. That food had been devoted in worship of the king himself and also of the Babylonian gods. That food was tainted because it was used to worship that which is not God. And that's even worse than eating food that is not kosher. Because that is turning in an abject fashion something that has been used for the worship of that which is not a God into nourishment for God's people. God said no. So Daniel resolved not to defile himself in this way. And the chief eunuch was scared to death. Wait a minute. 
if you guys don't eat this food, I'm going to get in trouble. I really couldn't care less about you, but I'm going to get in trouble because if you don't eat this king's food, if you don't eat the richest, most nutritious food, like all the other men who are in training right now, you will come out looking worse, and it will be my problem to deal with. The king will hold me accountable. And so please don't do this. How many of you have noticed those who are opposed to the teaching of Almighty God, for whatever reason, will oppose the teaching of Almighty God? It's going to happen. And the thief who seeks to destroy us, seeks to steal and kill and destroy in our lives, well, guess what his primary motivator is in seeking to steal and kill and destroy in our lives is? Getting us to turn against the teaching of God. Again, go back to the garden. Hath God said, you cannot eat from any tree in the garden? Well, no. So what's he trying to do? Live your life according to your own terms. God is just trying to impose himself on you. He's an egomaniac. You don't need him. And every time we try, we fail. We fall. But the cultural pressure can be immense. The cultural pressure can be immense. Every survey they do, the numbers continue to rise in support of things that are contrary to the teachings of Almighty God, and the numbers continue to fall in support of things that are according to the teaching of Almighty God. Guess what's going to keep happening? That. But listen, that's not a new phenomenon. This is 605 B.C., It's been going on for a long time. It's been going on for a long time. One day it'll stop when Christ returns. Until then, we got to make a decision. Let's see how Daniel's decision turned out. Verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's table's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So we listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables." As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Our third and final point is this. God's way always works out better in the end. God's way always works out better in the end. In common parlance, Daniel told the chief of the eunuchs, hey, 
Bet on my God and see what happens. Daniel wasn't making a bet. He wasn't gambling with his God because he knew. He knew that his God's way would work out better in the end. Now, the chief of the eunuchs, he didn't know that. But God caused the chief of the eunuchs to have favor on Daniel and say, okay, you can do it your God's way. And what happened? I'm sure there were times throughout the period of testing where it looked like those who were eating the king's food, those who were drinking the king's drink, were looking better than Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I'm sure there were moments in which the, the chief of the eunuchs questioned, did I make the right decision? Because if I made the wrong decision, I'm going to die. I'm sure there were moments in which the tide of cultural pressure was so great, and yet Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah maintained their trust that God's way would work out better in the end. And what happened? It did. Well, you know, you have joined your life to this experience this morning because I have a hunch about you. I have a hunch that you believe that choosing God's way will work out better in the end. And I have to tell you, I'm right there with you. I believe that choosing to live our lives according to the teaching of Almighty God will work out better 10,000 years from now. It may not be popular today, but God's never called us to be popular in the moment. He's called us to stand firm in His truth, to follow His way, even against the tide of cultural pressure that is increasing. And He's made us this promise. His way will work out better in the end. For the same one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will bless us with life everlasting in Him too. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.